know why it's happening. I know what's causing the anomaly. We have to go back. The only place we're going back to, sir, is bed. Damn it, Will! I know why it's happening! We caused the anomaly with the tachyon pulse. It happened three times, Will. We did it in three different time periods. I think you better come with me. Will you leave me alone? Damn it, I'm not stupid! Strange new takes. I'm your host, Nash Karnick, and with me in this new year are Bill Waiwad, Emily Bowen Marlar. Welcome to Strange New Takes. Today we'll be sharing a recap of the Star Trek Next Generation episode, All Good Things. But before we do that, we want to remind you to follow us on social media at Strange New Takes on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Tell your friends about us. We have a good time. And give us a five star rating on whatever, you know, podcast catcher you use. And as always, if you have spent the last 30 plus years under a rock and haven't watched All Good Things, uh, make sure that you watch it before you listen to this episode, because we're going to be spoiling it. We'll probably spoil a lot of other things that the actors from The Next Generation have been in. Probably spoil a bunch of other Star Trek stuff. I don't know. We haven't talked in a few weeks, so there's a lot to catch up on. So just be aware that these things happen on our podcast. And really, I guess I don't usually do a thesis statement before we get started, but here's a thesis statement. These episodes were actually all good things. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Right? Uh, Nice. Yes. All right. Well, uh, we're going to discuss, as Bill mentioned before, the Star Trek Next Generation episode, or I should say episodes, since there's two of them, all good things. They are classified as the 25th and 26th episode of the seventh season of The Next Generation. They first aired on the 23rd of May, 1994. They were written... old. (laughs) Yeah, that is happening increasingly in my life as well. (laughs) Yeah, 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 exactly. It was written by Ronald D. Moore and Brandon Braga. It was directed by Winrick Colby, and the in-universe date is uh, Stardate 47988.02370. But as we know, it jumps around a little bit to 3.5 billion years ago, 2364, (laughs) and circa 2395. (laughs) All right. Well, we always start our episodes with our strange new takes, and uh, I'll jump in here and go first. So... I've started watching Andor, right? Uh, critically acclaimed Star Wars TV show. Um, I'm also somebody who doesn't watch all the Star Wars series. I'm very selective, so I watch The Mandalorian and Andor. I will probably never watch the others. And I was thinking, what does Andor in a Star Trek world look like? Because I feel like Andor, if I had to like kind of describe it, it's it's very dark and gritty. It's kind of, it, it has that feel of also being an action thriller. Isn't uh, it an ice planet? Just kidding. Sorry, yeah, that's like ha, the Andorians. <laughs> ha. Anyway. I wonder if some Star Trek lawyers actually when they I saw the neighbors. I was wondering that yeah, too. Right, 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 right. Anyway. Okay, sorry, I di- I digressed you. No, no, okay. no, no, it's all good. So, so we've got so we've got this show that's focused more. It's grittier. It's got an action thriller vibe. A little bit of like mystery and like uh, hide. Uh, what not hijinks? What's the what's the the genre? What's the it, yeah. Italian job? Oh, heist. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like got that heist feel. 
And it's also much more character focused than technology focused. In fact, they have like AK-47 looking guns and like all sorts of stuff. It's, it's much more the technology. I feel like the technology is made to look a lot less futuristic at times. Yeah. And I, I was wondering if, if there, there could be a Star Trek equivalent to this. Like, would that be what the Section 31 show becomes, for example, you know? I mean, isn't that kind of what Picard feels like, though? Like when they're down on mm. the, like when they go, to, there's a couple of episodes, right, where they're down on, um, like, not a casino planet, but you know what I'm talking about? The, um, yeah, you know, in yeah. the, the, the world that Seven kind of inhabits. Yes. Feels like it's more that. I think so. And actually, season two as a whole, you know, good point. So it's been there already. I don't need to question this anymore. All right, moving <laughs> right along. <laughs> Uh, with this episode, you know what? This is a great season finale, man. They, they did a great job of making giving everyone warm and fuzzies about all the characters and stuff. The only question I have is, this doesn't happen chronologically at the end of the Next Generation's timeline, right? Like, it kind of happens in between. Because as I recall, Worf and Deanna weren't involved, like, right at the end of TNG. Like, they, yeah, they, they were. were. To, they were? <laughs> like, TNG ended with the two of them in love? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, and the way they the way they kind of handle it is, um, I think it kind of somehow dissolves like around generations. Right. They don't ever show it on screen. They explain it in Imzadi too. If you read Imzadi too, uh, Peter David kind of finds a way to thread it through, um, thread that stuff through what happens in generations and what happens in First Contact, like when Riker says "tough little ship." And yeah. uh, and Worf says little, you know, part of that, like the the undercurrent of that is their Ooh. tension because of the Deanna. Um, I mean, granted, those things aren't canon, but I, I liked that explanation. Okay. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, because I think wasn't the episode. Is it parallels or the episode where Worf goes to that? He goes to some tournament and then when he comes back, there's like a whole bunch of different enterprise. He jumps between a whole bunch yeah, of different yeah, yeah. parallel. It's a good one. Um, and they're together in that one, or that might be how they end up getting together. So they kind of build towards it. And it was because the actors wanted their characters to get together was why they did it. It wasn't necessarily because that's the way the story was going. And then Brandon Braga, of course, who wrote this episode, decided to go to Voyager. And at the end of Voyager, he's like, huh. A poorly explained relationship that doesn't really go. make sense in context. <laughs> Let's do it. Engage. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, all right. So that's all for me. Okay. Well, let's see. My strange new take for life. Everyone should take a few days to unplug and just be by themselves. I did that this week. It was good. I need to do it more often so that I can enjoy my life and my job and my interactions with fellow human beings more. So I'm going to, I'm going to try to do that. That's my goal for 2023. It's not a resolution. It's a goal. I'm going to take all the days that are given to me. Um, cause I don't do that and that's not a good healthy practice. So this as the elder on this podcast, this is my <laughs> advice to all the young people who are listening to this. Cause probably, I don't know. I don't know if any young people listen to this, but probably you're younger than me cause I'm old. So, um, yeah, take your days that are given to you because they are necessary for your mental health. And my strange new take for this episode is Data has an awful lot of cats in the future. I counted, I think I counted eight. So Dietrich swore there were nine, but he was just wanting to one at me. So I'm pretty sure I just saw eight cats. And then I was trying to determine if any of the cats 
if all of the cats were real or if some of them were holographic because when he had the when he told the computer to replace the holographic imaging um then the fireplace and mantle went back in place and the two cats or two of the cats were on the mantle like they were before but i had never before noticed how many cats were in that scene <laughs> until today <laughs> ton of cats mm -hmm. okay um <clears throat> so uh there were or there have been four iterations of the twilight zone my favorite is the one from the 80s uh which really I think is really fun. I mean, it's not like great television, but it's just like kind of like, uh, you know, warm blanket or something kind of like lots of nineties, um, or eighties sci-fi anyway. <clears throat> so in the 1980s, uh, twilight zone, there's basically like every single actor from star Trek. Okay. Uh, um, Jonathan Frakes is in it. Robert Duncan McNeil is in it. Renee Albert is in it. Brent Spiner is in it. Oh and get this, uh, Andrew J. Robinson, right? That's Garrick. Is there a J? Uh -huh. Andrew J. He plays fucking John F. Kennedy what? in the episode. Yes. Oh yes. God. And he does it well. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's, you know, I don't know. Nice. That's not the one with where Shatner's in that aircraft looking out at the monster on the wing or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that was before that Star Inter Trek, yeah. yeah. That was from the 1950s one. Oh, that was oh, an okay. older version of it. Yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, got it, got it. So, um, anyway, for this episode, I mean, it's it's just, like, amazing episode. Although it, it was, you know, good going back to watch it now. I haven't seen it in at least 10 years. And it made me think... Um, you know, like Patrick Stewart is regarded as being, I think, like more highbrow, especially compared to like William Shatner, right? Mm -hmm. He's like supposed to be a, this, you know, English Shakespearean actor or something. But he loves to ham it up. Dude, in those early scenes, he was just like chewing up the scenery. He was like loving it. And, um, you know, so I, I mean, I guess Shakespeare is kind of over the top, but um, I think no, Patrick I was Stewart, he just had a great time <laughs> with yeah, this episode. Like, I, especially as the older, like, yes, Data, that's who we should go to. Or yeah, Worf, yeah. yes, Worf is the one. Like, every yeah, time. Yeah. It's so funny. Yeah. Yeah, 100% agreed on, on, on that point. Yeah, I, I, I had like a little note about just how ridiculous the old Picard was. Well, let's let's jump in. So... First of all, like just to just to get the structure of this episode out of the way, it's three different timelines, which neatly shows us the present of the crew, but it also takes us back to ye olde days of TNG with Tasha Yar. But then we also get like a glimpse of what the future might hold uh, before. And of course, it's all rounded out by a huge callback to the encounter at Farpoint trial with Q in it. So I think it's a very elegant way to encapsulate TNG as a whole i think i think that was really well done kind of as a as a coda to the show so but, but we can we can dig into the specifics of each one of these timelines and and kind of the way they 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 show us the connections of each much like the fact the way tng is kind of the connect through the whole show you could say is picard the connect through this episode through tng's timeline is also picard mm -hmm. yeah yeah for sure yeah, I, I, I really did think that this was a one of the best season finales that, that Star Trek has produced. It's really good. I remember we watched it. I can't remember. I feel like I watched it not that long ago with Travis, but it must have been 
a while ago. Although I feel like we watched our Star Trek all out of order. We didn't watch okay. it chronologically. So I think we did like Deep Space Nine and then Voyager and then Next Generation. Um, but I remember him saying like, that was really good. <laughs> like after we'd seen all the other ones too, you know, it's just, it holds up. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just about perfect. I do have some quibbles that we'll get into, I'm sure, <laughs> but they don't really detract from the experience for me. <clears throat> so as the episode opens, uh, we, we, if you've not watched TNG in a while, like me, you probably get surprised that Worf and Deanna are together. And, and so, <laughs> weird. and then of course they find the captain in a bathrobe hanging around as the captain does in a bathrobe on the ship all the time. Oh yeah. He likes to walk through the place barefoot. So yeah, exactly. Which by the way, <laughs> deadpan deliver Patrick Stewart part on that joke. Very good. Also, I feel like nobody else like really acknowledged that joke. Anyway, um, it was so uncharacteristic of Picard. Like it, it like really felt like a Patrick Stewart moment more than a Jean-Luc Picard moment. For sure. Which I think there were a lot of those actually in this episode. I felt, I feel like we were kind of watching the actors come through a little bit um, more so than, than we would normally see on a TNG episode. I agree. I think generally speaking, it was, I mean, First of all, because there were the future versions of the actors where, mm -hmm. or the characters where, like, Jordy could be all joking about red alerts and the warp cores and the whatnots, and then he first comes onto the screen. And then, like you were referencing, Bill, Patrick Stewart got to ham it up as old Picard, and Data got to be just like a quirky <laughs> professor man. Uh, she can be frightfully trying at times, but she does make me laugh. <laughs> that was so exactly, dumb. <laughs> exactly. So I, I do think that we got more of the actors, as you were saying, Emily, mm -hmm. through this. Although I have to say, I really feel sorry for Jonathan Frakes that they thought that's what he was going to look like when he got older. Um, he looks way better in real life. 30 years now after the season finale or series finale than he did. And they're imagined 25 years after the present day. Gates Maybe McFadden. it was all the bitterness he was holding on to, right? It made him. Yeah, there you go. There you go. To Worf. Basically, Worf is the reason that old uh, Riker looks the way he does. Right. But they all, we can agree that they all look actually way better now than they imagined they would look. Oh, for real. <laughs> oh, old yeah. age makeup is just not easy to do. So. Well, and I think for, like, Gates McFadden, I think they did a very good job of making it subtle, but not, like, yeah. making the prosthetics obvious. They more yeah. changed her makeup. They just, or her eye makeup is it was a big part. Of, I mean, they added yeah. some wrinkles and stuff and did stuff on her neck, but it they did a great job at just making her eyes look a little more tired, you know, or, so I thought, I thought they did a pretty good job with her. It was more Riker that <laughs> it was unfortunate, his makeup. So while we're talking about aesthetics, so there's two things I think here that kind of surprised me in a pleasant way. Number one is that they actually embraced what TNG season one looked like. They'd read, mm -hmm. They they got rid of a lot of the enhancements that they'd made to the bridge set, for example. They brought back the old uniforms. They really like went all in for like, yep, this is the way it actually was for the for the timeline. There wasn't the any, slouchy chairs. Yeah, there was no retconning of of the you know like a lot of shows. It would just be like, oh yeah, we we're just in the same uniforms and it's just the past. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But also in the future, I wanted to get your take on like what we saw as the future aesthetics. Uh, and I'll call out one that I thought was ridiculous, which is like the, the Enterprise as the third nacelle. Now. That's pretty dumb. <laughs> yeah, it's dumb. <laughs> but, but what do you think of the future uniforms and the and the new Star Trek logo? Because now we've seen those again and again a few times, but this was the first time that we'd seen them. They're hideous. 
the future uniforms are hideous. They are not made to flatter anybody. So <laughs> I don't, I don't like the, I don't know. I just never liked them. I remember putting, I'm like, why did they put Beverly Crusher in that? Like, that was not nice. They should have, they should have done something different. It looks much better when they do more tunic type. Those are, that's a much better style uniform for all body types. So I'm sick of them putting people in uniforms that only look good on stick skinny people. So anyway, that's my opinion. I'm sticking to it. I, I, yeah, they, they, they're not flattering. There's a lot of like folds of like stuff happening and it's, I don't know. They're not the most detailed. Let's put it that way. But they were made for one episode, so. Yeah, yeah. I do like the new Star Trek, the the badge, though. The one yeah, with the no, two the bars badge is and cool. the chevron. Mm-hmm. I thought they did a good job on, on kind of thinking about what the next evolution of the badge might be. So, um well, let's let's jump let's jump in a little bit deeper again. So we've Picard basically slowly realizes that he's jumping through time. Um, I thought this was also a pretty seamless display of time travel across. Like we we had that series where we looked at time travel across Star Trek, but this one I thought was a little bit like I kind of liked the way that they were able to just sometimes move him midline to a different mm-hmm. timeline. And that was cool. Yeah, it worked narratively, and the way they. Um, I mean, if you think about it too much, it doesn't make sense, but the way they kind of position it is like three kind of independent episodes, um, mm-hmm. to, you know, if you'll excuse the pun, that don't impact one another, right? So it's not mm-hmm. like a, a chain of causality. It's almost like they're separate timelines or something. Um, that's, I think, I think that worked pretty well. It's pretty elegant. So yeah, I agree. It was a good, a good execution for time travel. Well, and it was also interesting to watch, like, so when they would jump from one of the previous timelines to the future timeline, um, and he would be in mid-sentence or something, watching how it played out in the future setting as opposed to how it played out in the past, Mm -hmm. like when he came in midline in the past, he was able to, and people were like, what, Captain? And he was very able, able to very seamlessly just make it sound like, oh, yeah, I'm just I'm using out loud. Here's the next, you know, the next thing we're going to do. And they all were on board with it. But obviously he has this syndrome in the um, future iteration. Right. And so he can't play any of that off. It just makes him look more crazy um, and more, you know, neurologically deteriorating. So which right. I felt very bad about. <clears throat> right. Yeah. I like emotional... that he didn't leave. Go ahead, Bill. Go ahead. Okay. I was just going to say, I, I like that they didn't, uh, I think, I think, by the way, there's a little bit of a Zoom delay in what's <laughs> happening here. That's the problem. So now, Bill, you go and I'm going to just wait. I was just going to say that the, the, they um, do a really good job having those distinct emotional tones in each mm-hmm. of the alternate in the past and the future. So in the past, Picard is like taking charge and everybody is kind of like, this guy's crazy. What, what can we trust him? Why is he, has he lost it? You know? Um, and then in the future, they're all wondering that he's senile and there is a little bit of, uh, uncertainty, right? Whether the, the crew and the other characters will go along with his plan. <clears throat> it's, I think they did an elegant job of creating a source of tension in the two not current timelines. Where, uh, where like it wasn't kind of over the top in the future timeline. Like people listened to him to a point. And in the same thing in the past where there wasn't like a mutiny where like people pulled out phasers and started like threatening yeah. each other. Like there, it was just 
a small source of tension. You were like, maybe it, could it happen? Could it get a little bit more intense? Uh, but it didn't kind of go overboard. Mm -hmm. So I liked it. I liked how also it takes Picard a while to understand in the future timeline how to like what's actually happening. It isn't immediate. And so there's evolution of that like whole situation as we go forward. So it, it, it like the, the initial two timelines, there's immediately he knows what to do and he can act. But in the later one, it takes a little while for him to catch up mm -hmm. um, as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. Well, because I think he also doubts himself. He, he, he thinks maybe he's imagining things or he's, you know, like he's doubting. I think that's part of the reason he gets so frustrated with everyone else is because it's those are that's what he's fearing is actually happening but he doesn't want that to be what's happening he wants there to be a a more um external to him uh, explanation i liked also how so the challenge with any finale is you you got to bring in all of the characters right in a, in a deep way and you got to engage all of them you can't give them all little bit parts um, otherwise, the fans feel like someone's been ignored or whatever. I did think they did a good job across all three timelines to give all the regulars substantial things to do. And even some of the actors who had bit parts. And, and you know, they brought back Tasha uh, O'Brien at this point. Cole Meany was on DS9. They brought him back to, to give him a, a send-off. Nurse Ogawa, unfortunately, had a pretty grim send-off, if you ask me. But Although she, you get the you know that she ends up with the baby again. Right, because right. everything's this, reset. At least there's right. that. That, that nurse Ogawa, <laughs> in, in addition to what happened to her, blew up. So, yeah, <laughs> I guess it was a grim send off, huh? First, she lost her baby, and then the ship blew up. So, yeah. Right, right. <laughs> um, so, I, I thought they did a good job of incorporating all the characters. Don't know if you'll agree with that. Totally, and Q, I would add. Yeah. Um, so it had been long enough that I, since I had seen this, that I didn't remember all the details, and I was watching it. I couldn't remember if Q was in it. But I was hoping. I was like, man, they've got to like bring Q in. I don't even really like Q, but you know, they just like had to for the finale, and it, it was perfectly executed. I I love Q in this episode. Well, and I have to say, it's also it was also pretty cool watching this episode after having just watched season two of Picard. Well, not just, but you know, last, yeah. last February or whatever. Um, it was just kind of cool seeing little pieces of that kind that I feel like they did try to carry a few things forward into Picard from this last episode of um, TNG. So that's what I, I, I want to engage a little bit more on. So now we've watched season two of Picard. We got Q's send-off. How do you feel about Q, that send-off for Q, based on what we saw in this episode? Like, would it have been better never to see Q and Picard hang out after this episode? Or were you glad he showed up in season two of Picard? I <clears throat> liked the kind of last episode or last scene in season two of Picard where, mm -hmm. the, where they hug, mm -hmm. you know, that was great. But the, but the writing in season two of Picard, like I don't, I still have no idea why Q was like, had like hired, um, yeah. Data uh, or what, what's Soong. it soon to like mess around. Like it really doesn't make any sense. I have no idea. It's like, mm -hmm. so I don't, in general, I don't like the way they used Q in season two of Picard. Yeah, the book but there ends, were bits like, that I liked. Yeah, the, I feel like the beginning parts with Q and the end parts with Q, I thought were were enjoyable, for lack of a better word, um, uh, in Picard. 
but like the things that I felt kind of carried forward that scene at the very end of this episode when he says to um, Picard, like he says, so was this your idea? He's like, no, it was the continuum that told me the continuum directed me to do this, Mm -hmm. but it was my idea to help you, you know, like, so just that kind of stuff. It was, um, he really was kind of showing his hand like, no, like, like I have a fondness for you. Um, And so I got to have some say in how this played out. There does seem to be some sort of the, the, I think the theme between what both of you have shared is that the emotional payoff in Picard was a good one. Even if the plot maybe rankled you all poorly, it was nice to have John Delancey come and say farewell, see a few like witty repartee between Picard and Q. And then, like you said, Bill, that final scene for me really like paid off everything else in season two of Picard. So, um, I think, I think that was good. But I will say that if we'd never seen Q again, I do think that this was a good way to, to say farewell as well. Kind of the, the wink and the nod of like, yeah, it's. I know it kind of sucks for you, so that's why I helped you out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the only issue is that we'd seen Q a whole bunch after this in like Voyager and DS9. So the Q character, I think it's good that the Q character got more of a send-off in, in Picard rather than... Uh, but I don't think that the that Picard needed uh, Q. As mm. a, no, if yeah. that makes sense. Like the two of them, I think it was a good one this here. But then afterwards, what they did with Q, I think we could have used some closure based on that. Yeah. So uh, anyway, how do y'all, what do y'all think about the overall plot here of the, of the anomaly that's caused, that's actually being caused by the the people in the future. So the paradox that actually destroys humanity. Oh, I I thought it was genius. Anti-time. Dude, it's so cool. (laughs) It's, is that actually a thing, by the way, do y'all know if anti-time actually exists? I don't think so. (laughs) I love how, well, they say a relatively new concept. Doesn't data say something about how anti-time is a, is a new concept. So that makes me think no, unless they've discovered it, you know, in the 30 years since episode. <laughs> not quite, not quite. So, I mean, it was quick time travel mumbo jumbo, right? Like the techno babble was fast. It didn't affect a lot of stuff. It wasn't like, it didn't come up every few minutes after they coined it. I think, yeah, I think sometimes temporal paradoxes on Star Trek make you think a little too hard about like the continuity or whatever. And this one didn't. Yeah, uh, they just blew yeah. everybody up at the end. So you're like, okay, it's all reset. It's fine. Like, don't worry, mm-hmm. nothing happened. And uh, I think it was also kind of uh, the, the mystery as it unfolded when you learned, oh, it's them all along. I think that was a good payoff for the for the mystery. Yeah. So then what did y'all think about the characterizations of the people themselves? You know, this whole Worf versus Riker thing. We've touched on that a little bit previously in the conversation, but we could start there. I feel like that was not, um, uh, that did not show consistency with the rest of the series. So I know they kind of play at this whole, they, they don't really play at a will they, won't they with Riker and Troy, they just kind of are, you know, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like they're good friends, but they have also pretty distinctly shown that either one of them is okay with the other one pursuing relationships with someone else. Like 
they've all been pretty mature about it. Like that's kind of how they've played it. It's never been this secret jealousy because Deanna was involved with someone or, or Deanna feeling jealous because Riker was involved with someone like that didn't happen very often in the series. They seem to be okay with it. And they even kind of made a point. I can't remember which episode it is, but they made a point of, of Riker being super mature about Deanna being with someone um, in an episode. So it kind of seemed like, why is it going to be an issue with Worf? Then again, sometimes we can be less mature when it's someone we know. Yeah. Um, so, you know. <clears throat> I, I think it's fun to have also Worf in a personally antagonistic role to somebody else. So I think I think the like mopey Worf was kind of a fun Worf to <laughs> to watch. Um, yeah. Worf is just like pure comic relief. Dude, when I <laughs> seriously in my notes, the first thing I wrote down from that first scene where they're, they get done in the holodeck. It just, it just says Worf, LOL. Um, <laughs> it was very stimulating. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, the, the other thing is they didn't give Worf his old prosthetic back in season one, which was, I was, I was glad that that did not make an appearance. They just used yeah. the new Worf prosthetic. Yeah. I mean, I'm guessing it didn't exist anymore seven years Probably later, not. but yeah, the new one looks But those slouchy chairs, they got those slouchy chairs back. I don't know mm. why they ever thought that was a good idea. How uncomfortable would it be to be working a console like this, like yeah. leaning all the way back? <laughs> but you can barely reach the buttons, you Emily, know? it's the future. Life is so easy that we can all slouch at <laughs> work. We can just slouch great. back <laughs> It's all great. Um, what what about so okay? Let's just talk about Beverly in this episode because there's a lot that happens. And number one, there's that scene where there's tender scene between her and Picard, which made me just yell out loud like, "Why don't these two ever get together?" If Picard Seriously? season three doesn't show them getting together and staying together, I know I will be upset. Even though I why like do they Laris. need to be so disappointing to us? Yeah, <sighs> for real. <clears throat> And then at the end, or in the future timeline, they've actually been married and divorced. What the hell? It's so mean. It's just so mean. I just love the, the not only the, are they divorced, but she keeps the name. So she, now she's Captain Picard. <laughs> <laughs> she's like taking that from him. That's pretty great. I like the second time, like the first time, you know, they both turn around. Yes. You know, thinking that they're both being spoken to. But then the second time was it, was it when um, Worf comes on screen and says Captain Picard and and Jean-Luc Picard kind of takes a step back and like, oh, yes, you mean you mean this Captain <laughs> Picard. You know, that's kind of funny. Also, who allows someone with dementia to sit in a captain's chair? Like <laughs> for any other person, we wouldn't be doing this, Jean-Luc, basically. Did she say? Yeah. Just remember, if this was any other person, we wouldn't even be here. So. Yeah, for real. But like, I mean, I know it's like all tender to be like, engage. And like, oh, okay, cool. But then they ruined that moment too by the next line being, engage where, sir? <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I, I do think that that is, I think, one of the big... I think one of my big disappointments with TNG is that Picard and Beverly didn't do some get together it's so obvious like somewhere in some tng movie either nemesis or first contact or something you know we should have had the two of them get together just like janeway and chakotay yeah what are they doing again brad and brogger taking hints uh. <laughs> yeah i um i did really like the kiss and mm -hmm. i was surprised by it i was like whoa are they even allowed to do that um yeah <laughs> and so there was you know there was some 
you know, Crusher uh, Picard romance. Yeah. I think it's like that episode. You remember the Naked Now um, <laughs> when <laughs> they're so awkward in their uh, in his ready room, and she's like kind of coming on to him, and he's like <laughs> something. It's so bad. I'm pretty so this sure I tried way to block that, that out. One. I know this one was way better. <laughs> I, I the only thing I can think of when anyone mentions the naked now or whatever the naked thing in Star Trek the original series was is just when the Lord X does it's naked time and they're all <laughs> naked together <laughs> and they keep using that as a catchphrase. <laughs> uh, I I think unfortunately Troy is kind of the the has probably the least to do in this episode out of all of our regulars although Worf also just kind of mopes and doesn't do anything but Troy also doesn't like much of her existence in TNG doesn't get a lot to do except you know confront Picard with his feelings every now and then Mm -hmm. she has more of a role in the beginning of the episode but then she kind of fades away although she is a little bit in the um the past Right, like when right. they jump to yeah. the past time. I mean, 70% of her lines in this episode were Picard asking her, do you sense anything? And she's like, right. nope. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, you don't know yes. how to write for kids or women. So. Um, yeah, I, I, I did think they did a good job with Tasha Yar, though, given the limited yeah. area. Like even that moment where, where War- Picard forgets who the security officer is. I thought was kind of a little, it was a nice little sad nod to what happens to her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so I did, I did like how they brought her character back in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was good. What did y'all think of the last scene with the card table, like as an ending um, moment to like say farewell to all of them? Chef's kiss, dude. Per- oh, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. It's iconic. Yeah. Yeah. I should have done this a long time ago. Yeah. And then and, you're and, always welcome. That's just good stuff. And then the camera, slow camera band mm-hmm. up as we see the top of their heads. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I, yeah, definitely a very meaningful moment. And again, For a good sure. way to say farewell to everybody. So I, th- I think that final moment is maybe one of the best scenes in this whole uh, episode. I think especially as a goodbye to all the characters. But there, there are other sequences that in particular that you liked quite a lot. We've talked about her data has a ton of cats. Um, also, I feel like the scene with Picard and the vineyard is kind of I- iconic with his mm-hmm. like old man outfit. Like Lower Decks has referenced that before too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I liked the um, static warp shell when Data and Picard both say that at the same time. It reminds me of the warp particles scene in Voyager. <laughs> With uh, Captain Janeway and Valana, it's like the second episode or something uh-huh. of Voyager. <laughs> but um, anyway, it had that same energy, and I was thinking, oh well, those were written pretty much at the same time. <laughs> so, <laughs> but <clears throat> Jordy, so, I, Jordy, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, Bill. I, I was just going to say I called out two scenes in my notes. One of them was the first scene with Jordy, where he shows up at the vineyard, and I like Jordy is just like such a good guy. I was like, man, Jordy's like, sure, we'll go see Data. Like seriously, the, like the best friend um, in Lavar yeah. Burton is awesome. Uh, so yeah. I like that. And then later on, and I guess it's in the past where everybody's—it's towards the end of the episode and everybody's challenging him. They're like, "Hey, you need to explain, you know, why you're having us do this." And so the solution, of course, is a Picard speech. So That's he gives right. his Picard <laughs> speech. Everybody is convinced, 
And what and when when it becomes clear that he's convinced everyone, Patrick Stewart has this look where he's like super self satisfied. He's like, "Yup, I I did it. Like the speech worked." <laughs> You just want there's the one guy standing behind you to be like, what? That's good enough for you guys? What the hell? <laughs> We're all about to die. Like, are you kidding? I got I got a wife and kids. Like, That's got to happen on Lower Deck someday, you know? Yeah. Seriously. I also love, there are so many iconic cue lines in this episode. I, ke- I kept quoting them. Like, I was finishing cue sentences for him. And Dietrich looks at me, Mommy, are you on cue's side? <laughs> I said, no, I just remember all his lines. <laughs> but I love that. I always love that. I really must speak to the maid when he's on the plant, you know, 3.5 billion years ago. Uh-huh. I always like that one. It kind of sticks with me. Yeah. And, and I also thought like Q's presentation in the trial was kind of cool. Like how they mm-hmm. have him on the like stand. That's like kind of like going up and down and yeah, like moving you know. side to side. And yeah, I thought that was really I, I that wasn't something I noticed so much before but i really noticed this time how it's like how he's kind of like um i don't know kind of like sway the way he's kind of swaying back and forth mm-hmm. in that first scene it just kind of gives you the feeling of him playing with right. picard you yeah, know anyway exactly. yeah, it was really good that was good direction the the <clears throat> other thing I'll, I'll call out here is that jordy in that first scene mentioned that he and leah brahms are together which yeah, i was like that's creepy yeah what the hell leah brahms like did, did she go back and then fire up like a hologram of Jordy for a little while? And so they were both Payback. like, well, now we, we both now that we've both creepily slept with each other's holograms, we can consummate in real life or whatever. That wouldn't have happened if the show had been written today. Yeah. Hey, so. mom and dad, how'd y'all meet? Uh... <laughs> okay. So, uh, in speaking of things that would not have happened if the show had been written today. Can I talk about my quibbles for a minute? Yes. Let's do it. I, okay, so first of all, like, Jordy knows about Picard's diagnosis because, like, he knows through, like, word of mouth. Okay, so clearly they do not HIPAA. have HIPAA. In nope. the, <laughs> right? And actually, they didn't have HIPAA in 1994, but, wow. Uh, yeah. That's kind of, you know. No such thing as patient, doctor, bre- Breaching somebody's privacy. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, let's see. Okay. Yeah. And they take the medical ship to like as subterfuge to go into the neutral zone. That's like a war crime. Seriously. (laughs) 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 It's a big no, no. Uh, Good thing. They all blew the ships up at the end. (laughs) Yeah. No, but I mean, seriously, that's a war crime. No, for real. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Exactly. Um, and, And then in terms of the writing there, you know, and this is really a, uh, a fair critique of the modern Star Trek of the 90s Star Trek, all this stuff that should be really emotionally resonant or impactful, they just skip over. So there were a few things, right? Like, so present Picard getting diagnosed with dementia, basically, mm-hmm. he's fine with it. He doesn't even skip a beat, dude. He's like, Beverly is more upset than he is. Mm-hmm. He's like, no, like maybe it won't even happen. Like, it's okay. All right. Jordy gets his vision back in a kind of traumatic, like painful way. And he, and he's just like up working at the console, like in our, like mm-hmm. you, I mean, that would be really disorienting if, even if you had some kind of artificial vision to have, I mean, you'd probably need like therapy for like months or, you know, and then nurse Ogawa loses a baby, yeah. loses a baby. And, <laughs> and they're like, oh, she's physically okay. And then on to the next scene. It's like, what? <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, that. It, I don't know. Yeah, that's a that's a real improvement that they've made in the there was, new shows, even if they don't always execute perfectly. Right. There was one emotional beat. They they kind of gloss over, but they at least Patrick Stewart played it really well. Um, was when they when they flash back from the past into the present, and he says Tasha, and Deanna says, "I'm sorry, what?" And he says, "Tasha Yar." I was just with Tasha. Like he does. He almost has like his voice kind of has a little mm. bit of a tremble in it when he says that. Um, but, it, but but again, it's like the teeniest little beat of, um, like that's gotta be pretty overwhelming to see your crewmate, you know, who died and. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, okay, so I, I completely agree on this larger point, but I will say I do think they make good use of the Picard really hates his diagnosis piece. Like, I, th- I think they do kind of dwell a little bit on how Picard is not willing to accept that he has this disease and he's stubborn and he won't accept treatment. And so I, I do think that they, they give some complexity to that particular piece. Um, I, I think my larger quibble with this episode is that in some ways, it doesn't feel like the characters have gone through anything together at the end, right? Because they blow up every all, all of the all of the development for anybody except Picard gets like a reset, right? So I think I think that's the only thing that I can I can like take serious issue with is like sometimes in a finale, like Enterprise is a good example of this, although most people hate that one. I don't. Uh, where the the characters really get from point A to point B during the finale. Voyager's another one where they mm-hmm. physically return home. Um, DS9, Cisco like transcends or whatever. So there's just a lot that happens. And in this episode, it doesn't. And maybe that's because they had a movie deal <laughs> coming up. And so they didn't have to take the characters right. from point A to point B. They could just end it on this like really heartfelt, happy note. And that was it. Well, and you know, so you talked about, I can't remember which one of you was talking about Picard being the through line through the episode and through the series. That was, that was where we saw that they went through something together because that's why Picard walks in to join them with the poker game at the end, because he has had this experience with all of these people across multiple timelines. Mm -hmm. And I think that's made him recognize really how much these people mean to him um, and how central they are to his life. And so he wants to make a point of centering that a little more. And I think that's why he goes and joins them in the um, poker game at the end. Yeah. Yeah, it feels it feels like in some ways also his attempt to, to prevent what happened in the end, in mm-hmm. the future where they all grew apart, right? Right. As well. well, that's why he tells them, right? Because they said, why do you think he told us what what happened to us in that future timeline? Basically, so y'all don't F it up in the, <laughs> in the future. You you keep this special thing that you see, have. See, that's why Troy and Worf didn't end, end up saying to Picard was like, listen, no. It's just going to screw it all up. <laughs> yeah, don't do this. It's a mistake. <laughs> He's going to find gonna someone die. he's much better suited for. Yeah, well, I am curious to see if War, like Worf in season three of Picard has like ended up with somebody or whatever. Like, I wonder if we'll mm-hmm. get any of that. I know his his um, love interests tend to die. It's, it's he does not have a good track record. No, no. <clears throat> all right. Well, any other final points with all good things before we we end today's episode? I don't think so. Um, at, at the end of season one of Picard. 
uh, I think it's in the finale. There's a, a Riker deus ex machina where he just cruises up in a ship and saves the day. And I forgot that he actually did the same thing in this episode, too. So Yeah. Yes, he, he just did. looked I mean, way better doing that. it in Picard. <laughs> yeah. That's a great call out, actually. Yeah. I really like that. I, I, I had not put that two and two together on that. That, like, he literally does it here. And he's, that's why they're picking it up in the other series. Mm-hmm. Is there... Isn't there also an... Uh, an no, he doesn't. He doesn't got flying to see, but there's that one where there's a, like a ton of enterprises in an anomaly, and like one of them has like a Picard who looks, or a Riker who's in charge and who oh, looks yeah. really that's, disheveled. That's the parallels one, I'm pretty sure. Right, right, the, right. Yeah, the, the wharf like one decimated by the Borg or something. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, yeah, and he's like, no, hair. you can't let me go. You must let me come with you. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, um, I suspect I know how things are going to go here, but it's time for us to move into strange new ratings. Uh, I don't think this one really counts as sticking your neck out, but sure. Who who wants to stick their neck out and give this episode a rating? Ten. Yeah, I was gonna say five out of five. (laughs) Come on, it's like the best series finale. (laughs) Yeah, no, for real. Um, That's actually a good a good discussion to have. I I, someday maybe we'll do a series finale wrap up. But like, which shows have had good? Like, which has the best series finale in Star Trek? Is it this one? Because we've only, I guess, had Enterprise, Voyager, DS Nine, TNG, and original series. They didn't have a series finale. Yeah. That yeah, was the worst episode ever. I hate that episode so much, Turnabout Intruder. It's so awful. It enrages me and makes me like want to shake the people who wrote that episode. Anyway, it's terrible. We, we, Is that the we, one we, with the yeah. half-white, half-black people? No, that's a good episode. Um, <laughs> no, it's the episode where that woman wants to become uh, the captain, and so she switches bodies with with uh kirk because a woman could never be the captain on a starship and i was like are you freaking kidding me like this whole show that it's about breaking barriers you didn't have a big enough imagination that you could think that a woman could be a captain of a starship i mean it just makes me hate everyone involved in the creation of star trek in that moment when i watched that episode anyway not that i have strong feelings about it no, no, but, of course not. Yeah, <laughs> it's such no, a bad episode. No, the one with the half black, half white people, that the ending of that episode. Oh, my God. Like. It's I just remember watching it recently thinking that is exactly where we are right now. 100 percent. That is what is happening in our anyway. It's yeah, it's that is one that's worth going back to and watching. Mm-hmm. So. Let's let's do this. Let let's that be consider... your last battlefield. Isn't that what it's called? I yes, think that's what that episode that yeah. is. Anyway. What it's called. Let's let's consider the undiscovered country as a as the finale for That's TOS. a better one. Because they, they clearly do a sign off. off. Yeah. I and yeah. I like that. I like that for a for a finale for the I mean I, that's actually my favorite Star Trek movie. Mine too. Period. Yeah. <clears throat> it's it does have a lot of great like char- like callbacks to who the characters are. Mm-hmm on the inside and i think i i have to go with this one all good things it just does a great job of, of giving it's... us showing us who the characters are and why we love them endgame is a good episode but it also feels a little more like a normal star trek episode 
I feel like it doesn't have kind of the heavy emotional farewell that we want other than that last scene when they get home and we don't get any payoff on that because we just see them flying towards earth and we don't actually see them arrive or mm. deal with any of the shit that comes from seven years of being gone Janeway showing up at Mark's door and Mark being like hello uh sorry this is my give me life. my dog back <laughs> yeah that's what she should say. <laughs> well, in the, in the book, basically, she gets puppies from that dog. Oh, um, okay. I haven't so finished she, reading. I need to, I need yeah, to get so, on that. So we don't get any of that. DS9, though, does have more of that. I feel like there's more like emotional payoff for all the characters in mm-hmm. DS9's finale. Yeah, but except they do Jake wrong. I, I think the DS9 one is really good, but I'd have to watch it again. I was listening to a podcast about, uh, oh, it must have been Mission Log, where they were talking about the finale for DS9, and I never thought about it until they said this, but they really did do the Jake Sisko relationship wrong in the way they ended the finale, because that whole show, I mean, like, the the start of the show, so much of it is about that relationship between father and son, and that was a huge deal to Avery uh, Brooks. And but then he doesn't have any final scene with his son. You know, it's like, oh, wouldn't he be good. the one that he comes back to? I mean, sure, he can come back and talk to Cassidy, but he really should have also come back and talked to Jake, you know, anyway. And I was like, oh, that's a good point. Those those <clears throat> there could have been a way to make that pay off. So mm-hmm. maybe one of these days when we have another the next time we have a break between series, we'll watch all the finales and, and yeah. have a have a more comprehensive discussion on this. But Thank you, Emily. Thank you, Bill, for talking about all good things. I'm looking forward to talking about Picard Season 3 with you in just a couple of weeks. But we've got one more episode next week. I think we're going to try to do one with Moriarty, since Moriarty will return. And also thank you, Adam and Rudy. I hope you all are also enjoying the new year. Looking forward to talking to you guys soon as well. And thank you to your listener for making us a part of your listening experience this week. We always appreciate you making time for us. Thank you, Jishu Guha, for recording our theme music and letting us hear you strum away at the Klingon theme every week when this episode premieres. And uh, thank you, special thanks this week to Q. If it hadn't been for Q, we wouldn't have this heartwarming episode. So really, this is all Q's, uh, Q's doing. So special thanks to him. All right, everybody. See you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.